2016 represents 100 years since the 1916 Rising, but after the 1916 Rising, not everything ran smoothly. In 1921, there was a civil war, but also in 1921, Maureen O'Sullivan was born in Mount Rath in County Leash. And shortly after, um, at a very early age, moved from Mount Rath to Kerry. And I'm about to hear a little bit of what was involved. First of all, mother, you were born in Mount Rath, yes. and you were you moved at two months, was it? Oh, as a baby. Yeah. Less. The reason why was my mum was a native of Mount Rath, and my dad was working in the bank. And in those days, in the bank, people couldn't uh, be associated with anybody from the town, so they were transferred immediately. <coughs> So he was uh, transferred to Cahar-Savin County, Kerry. So, of course, I was an infant, it seems. I was only two weeks old or something. And um, I grew up in the bungalow, Cahar-Savin, as they called it. It was a big bungalow standing on a big, it was rented, on uh, a, a big avenue going up to it, and fields to the back and fields to the front, and about a half a mile from town. So... Um, I grew up there and used to play as I got older, football around with my brothers. I, I was one of uh, seven children actually, but uh, I remember going to school, walking to school in all weathers and the school was in town, the presentation convent, and it was about a half a mile's walk, but that didn't matter. We walked to school and uh, there were the nuns and I went up to the babies class as they called it and then senior infants first class, second class, third class and um, what age was I when we were transferred we were tra my dad was in the Munster and Leinster Bank and um, he was transferred there I was at about uh, 11 or 12 years of age and my, I think my younger sister she, no, Norma was born there but then after that when we were transferred to Hospital County Limerick which was a small town but like it didn't matter to me and I was at school there for a year just, I was just about 11 or 12 and uh, we were living in a lovely house, Castle Farm house which was about now half a mile out from the town and we walked into school so my mother was a native of Mount Rath and I'd been a boarder in the Bridgetown convents there so I was sent away then uh, in my second year at secondary school But before all that happened when you were in Carstavine what was Carstavine like then as a town? Do you remember it? Well all I remember is that we used to go swimming to the White Strand and uh, Valencia Island, that's right. I remember being brought out on a boat to Valencia Island. And I remember you telling me you were row you went out and rowing or sailing. Well, yes, somebody brought me out, yes. There was a Mr. Shule who was a solicitor, I remember, and used to bring me out, and I don't know who else, and we'd be brought an odd time out to Valencia Island. And uh, we thought that was great. But... Um, uh, Sabine and those days, like I'm only very young, and I had a pal, and her name was O'Sullivan too, and she lived across the road. They were farmers, and I loved 
going down there and watching them um, doing the cows. And actually, when we were in Carson, we, we had a, a cow, believe it or not. And uh, in those days, we had two maids as well. <laughs> they were from Port McGee, which was uh, a place, a, a fishing village somewhere about 20 miles out, opposite Valencia Island. And one was for the housework, and one was to bring the children out for the walk. <laughs> so my mom, she was great for entertaining. As far as I remember, there'd be people coming in for afternoon tea, and all the white cloths with the crochet would be brought out. And then she'd be invited somewhere. But then at night time, an odd time, she'd give a sit-down dinner, and the maids would have been cooking and getting it ready. And in those days, if there was something special on, I remember, they had to wear the white aprons and the caps <laughs> to wait on the table. Right. So I used to be let, I was the eldest of the family of seven, six at that stage, and I'd be let up for a while just to go in and sit down, but not stay late and go to bed then. But then, as I said, I was in uh, sixth class, I think. I learned music and everything when I was at uh, school, and I loved music. I loved the piano. And um, So in Carstavine, then, was, <laughs> was there a musical society? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> was, your, was your mother involved in anything, and your dad? Well, my dad was. He was a good singer. Right. He used to sing on the concerts. He'd be asked to sing on the concerts. And I remember being brought to a concert in the Carnegie Hall where he was singing. And I think Nirvana and something else was his favorite song that he'd sing. And my mother played the piano. And I remember at the house parties they'd give when they'd invite people in, there'd be a sing-song. And uh, she'd play the piano and he'd sing. And if there was anybody else there that they'd have a sing-song evening, I used to be let up stay a little bit because I was the eldest. So do you remember any of the kind of songs that they would have been singing then? Yeah, Nirvana was one of them. And uh, O Solo Mio and something else. I still have the music of some of those, so I have. And of course, I, I began to learn music very early when I was in Carcevine. I was only seven or eight when I got to learn the piano. And I wasn't too bad at it either, because I liked music. And uh, the thing is, um, um, we were, um, I was the eldest, and then my mom was busy. But she had two maids. She had a lot of children in a row. And in those days, you had the babies at home in the house. And the nurse and the doctor came in. And uh, I remember being uh, sort of sent off, whether the baby arrived at night or day. But um, in those days, the maids then would be wheeling out the pram, and we'd go along beside it. And... Uh, She'd be having a rest in the evening, and she was great at crochet and knitting, my mum was, and she was always doing the fine lace. But um, the bungalow was uh, uh, quite a big house with long corridors and all. It was rented. And you see, I gather we were comfortable enough because my mum had been an only daughter, and they had a business in Montreux, a pub, 
in a house and some other property and when she got married she sold it so the thing is she had her own investments and as a child I always remember hearing about the dividends coming in so obviously we were quite comfortable even though I'm sure as I got older I realised my dad's salary wouldn't be good and in those days there weren't too many people had two maids one for the house and one for the <laughs> So your grandparents then were from Kinsale? Yeah, well my grandparents in Mount Rock were dead I never knew them but my grandparents in Kinsale I did know them, I met them and we, oh yeah, my dad owned it at Model T Ford which nobody else had because on account of my mom he could afford a Model T so I remember as a child being brought down to Kinsale and dropped there and left during the summer holidays for a while and my grandparents owned it a big shop in the corner of Market Square three story red brick building and it was a general store and I remember ice cream in one corner and it was opposite the uh, town uh, hall or wherever it was but my granddad had been a rate collector and he married in there who he married she was a widow and she had inherited all that property right so uh, her husband died young I think enough couldn't tell you what and she had a daughter by her first marriage Cathy Murray that's right so she would have been a stepsister and um, uh, of my dad's so anyway I remember going down on holidays there as a very young child and staying there and it was an upstairs like it was a three story house and of course I was used to living in a bungalow in Carsevine and I thought it was great to be able to go up and down the stairs and I'd look out the window from the kitchen look down and I thought that was very exciting so um, um, that went on on and off for years I think and I think my brother John used to be sent down with me too but then as time went on um, we were transferred to hospital County Limerick and I was a year at school in hospital and I was doing my music and I wasn't too bad and no one there realised that I had a bit of talent and for the Christmas concerts even though I was very young I was asked to play and play in duets as well so then um, I was sent away to boarding school in Montrath and uh, even though I had done one year secondary in Moat or in um, hospital, hospital Oh yeah, I played a lot of tennis in hospital too because my dad was very good at tennis and we all played tennis from the time we were young and uh, I played tennis up at the tennis club in the hospital and even though I was only about 12 or 13, 12 or 13 at that time I was picked at number 6 on the adults team right. to go away on a competition like I wasn't a bit excited about it because I was used to playing tennis sort of since I was able to hold a racket but one day I was uh, that um, what is it where you get the blue medal for the child of Mary for the first year the, the nun who was in charge of that said I was wanted out in the corridor she wanted to talk to me and I was in sixth class I think at that stage maybe first year I can't remember I didn't know what she wanted me for but she says I hear you are playing tennis 
I said, yes. And she said, I heard you were away on a tournament with a whole lot of adults. I said, yes. Well, she said, you know, you're going to be taken out of the confraternity if you do that again, because you had to spend three years getting different colour medals before you got the Child of Mary medal. So, of course, I burst into tears and went home and told my parents about this. And they said, well, let her keep the, the, the ribbon. And I played tennis, and I wasn't too bad at tennis with the results, like we won tournaments. <laughs> I took no notice, because like we all played tennis from the time we were kids. But she thought I'd be getting into bad company. I wasn't having any bad company, so I was, I was delighted with myself. But anyway, I was sent away to school. My dad intended sending me to boarding school. And I'd go on the bus to Limerick and get the bus then from Limerick to Mount Rath and get off. And that was it. And you were a boarder there then until Christmas. And you only got home then for Christmas. It's not like all these midterm breaks they have now. And I was in what class? I think I was put into... Uh, I think when I was went to Mount Rath, I was jumped into about uh, first year of intercept because it was too bad at school, and I was two years in in intercept just because I was too young to go on, and I was the one that was picked every night to play for the dancing and the drill. <laughs> on the piano right. because I had done so much music and I what all the other ones who had done music all they could play was the exam pieces which were only three pieces that they learned all year and I had a stack of music and I could sight read and do anything so I was the one who was called on because there was no one else only maybe one of the nuns to play for the dancing. Uh, oh yeah, we used to have a dancing teacher coming down from Dublin. Taught us our manners, etiquette and everything else. And dancing, ballroom dancing, and how to, your partner, how they were to hold you, male or female. Of course, there were no males in there. It was all girls. So I was the one playing the piano, but I got up at odd time to do the dancing as well. So that went on. I was four years at Montrath and I did my uh, leaving junior search. As I said, it was held twice in that year because I was so young. And then matric, you had to do matriculation, which is fifth year now, and we don't think they do it. And then leaving cert, and uh, that was it. And then you were elected as a senior and made a child of Mary, and I was the senior. And of course, if you're the senior, you got a room on your own, whereas otherwise you'd be in a dormitory. Right. So there were four seniors, and we had a room on our own on the corridor, so we had. But of course, we were getting up at half six in the morning, and we were in bed by nine o'clock at night after the prayers and everything. And you were never let outside the convent walls, Granted, they had big gardens and everything, and you went for walks. I think in our day we weren't let out, but maybe nowadays they are. So anyway, that was it when I left Montrat. Um, so but when you were in Montrat, you were transferred also? Well, we were. At one stage, then I went home to Tralee, I think. That yeah. was it. Yeah. And uh, then when I left um, after Tralee, 
uh, I, I had a year before doing anything, and I did a commercial course. Back, back in Tralee itself, you used you, there were no, you played tennis. Oh, I did. I played and, tennis all the time. And Tralee was another big town. That's right, Tralee was a big town. And I joined the Dramatic Society, Musical Society, and I got some lead parts. <laughs> I know, because I was used to getting out there, and I enjoyed it, and um, yeah, I played a lot of tennis, and uh, then um, what happened after that? Well, at that stage, when you were in Tralee, um, John, Michael, Joe, Jimmy oh, were all, yeah, and, all, Burton, uh, yeah. and, and Norma were, were all born, and... They were, uh, they were going to the brothers' school there, I was going to the convent. And then I did a year then in the commercial school after I had come home from Montreal. And uh, um, there was a great brothers in the green, as they called it, the Christian brothers. And my dad was in the Munster and Leinster Bank there in the corner of Denny Street. But um, uh, then I did the bank exam and I was told I got either first or second in it. And I was called immediately. Now I know that. I did it in February or January, and I was supposed to be in Galway. I was appointed to Air Square, the provincial bank Air Square, on the, I forget, sometime very early in the year, March or April. But the same week that I was going to be in Galway, that was the week that I was appearing as the lead in the music literally. So we had to ring them up that could we postpone my appointment for a week. Right. And what musical was on? That oh, I can't remember. Right. I can't remember. But anyway, when I got to um, Galway, the girls, the bank there, the, the, um, St. Mary's Road, see there were a lot of girls in the bank, there were some of them. I was the first one to go into the provincial bank, it was all men up to that, but there were girls in the Bank of Ireland, so they had, the, the bank had scouted out like where I'd stay with the girls in the Bank of Ireland. Right. So I was able to stay in Santa Maria Hotel, St. Mary's Road, and that was all where the girls in the bank stayed. And of course we walked from there up St. Mary's Road, down around by the canal and into work in the mornings, and that was it. And I walked home again in the evening. And so when were you in Dublin? After Galway? Oh, what a while. It was when I was in, in Galway. I met your dad. Yeah, but when you, you, would, when, you would work in Dublin a, also? I was a, yeah, I was a year in Galway. And Doreen McCarthy was one of the girls in the National Bank. I was in the Provincial Bank. And one evening we were out walking. And Doreen was coming along. And she saw... Martin Doyle, who worked in the National Bank with her, walking along there by the Crescent in Galway, and she said, come over, we'll say hello. And there was another chap with him, and he was introduced as Austin Comerton. <laughs> and we were told that Austin Comerton was in the National Bank, but that he was, uh, for the emergency, he had joined the army and was stationed in Renmore, but that he had known Martin Doyle on account of being in the bank before he had met him somewhere. So they were out walking, and that was which said hello, no more about that. And uh, uh, on the 29th of June, 1929, I think it was, there was always... It would have been 39, would it? Maybe it was 30, 30, 39, yeah. Yeah, 1939. 39, yeah, it was 29th of June, all right. There was always an outing on the 
to the Iron Islands on the boat, whatever the big boat was that went across from Galway. It was right. a general um, thing that went, and everybody went on it. She paid, I don't know, a pound or something, and all the girls from the digs were going. We were all going there. And, of course, when we were on the boat, we bumped into Martin Doyle and Austin Comerton and just said hello, and that was it. And it was a great outing because I was excited, and we were all excited being on the boat to the Iron Islands, a lovely day. And that was if we could bring our bikes. Our bicycles were on the boat too. So when we got over to the Iron Islands, all the girls and all the boys started cycling and we cycled all around the Iron Islands and we were cycling with Martin Doyle and Austin Comerton and that was the day, I'm not sure if we had a snack or something there, I can't remember that, whether there was a cafe, I think there was actually an old type of farmhouse. And that evening when we came back, um, uh, Austin Comerton invited me to supper in, uh, what's that, um, the cafe in the middle of Galway. James, uh, no, no, it no, was Leiden's, was it? No, no, Leiden's, Leiden's Cafe, yeah, right. for supper, and uh, I think Dorian Martin Doyle, so of course we were hungry after being out all day, so anyway, um, he decided to walk me home, even though he was going to Renmore Barracks, which was in the opposite direction, but that was all right, and uh, he he said that he'd like to see me the next night, so he cycled again. So from then on, he was cycling and going out, and he'd bring me out for uh, an odd uh, thing to Leiden's. But it was afterwards he told me that night when we came back from the Iron Islands, when we all had a big fee, that he was worried he had enough money in his pocket <laughs> to pay for it <laughs> So anyway, I was a year in Galway, and I was transferred to Grafton Street in Dublin. And I stayed with my godmother then out in Aylesbury Gardens and cycled in every day. Of course, I paid whatever the digs rate was. And I was on the machines in Grafton Street, which were all very new there, a ledger machine. And, um, and I played tennis in Black Rock Club, of course. And then Austin Comerton decided to keep coming up to meet me the odd weekend. He'd come up on the train, I think, or the bus, I'm not sure, and uh, bring me out. And it developed from there. So a year later, he asked me to marry him. I knew him for two years before. So we were married then on the 8th of September, 1943, was mm -hmm. 1943, in um, Peter, uh, Michael uh, and John's. Michael and John's church there. Yeah. And in those days, if the emergency was on, there were 30 at the wedding, just the immediate relations. And we had our breakfast in the that hotel just beside it there. The it went down the keys. Yeah. And we went off on the train then for a week's honeymoon to Bondorn and stayed in the hotel. Came back then and we were stationed in Athlone, isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. Athlone in Auburn Terrace. And Auburn Terrace was uh, 16 Auburn Terrace. It was a row of houses and nice enough location, but a terrible house. There had been 
two old maids living in it for years and it was in a terrible state of discrepancy but you couldn't choose anything in those days there was no heating they had everything the walls even the wood painted pink remember it well and there was a range there that you couldn't light because it was burnt out and the smoke had come out the chimney now at that time there would have been rationing as well Pardon? there was rationing oh there was rationing there was rationing yes there was rationing and um, oh it was terrible stuff altogether so then I had uh, three babies within two years so I had and the ration books were great because you see the babies didn't take as much as what you could get on the rations right <laughs> I know but uh, the nappies you had no means of drying the nappies I had to light a fire in a spare room we had furniture only in a few rooms a spare back room I used to have a lighter fire with a big figure around it and hang up a line to get the dry nappies dry because <laughs> they were born in March February and March you couldn't get them dried outside there was no such thing as pampers in those days there were all those cloth nappies and uh, you had to wash those you soaked them rinse them wash them put them up and try and get them dry and the only means in the winter was try and get them dry there so um, um, then there was no washing machines, none whatsoever. You had to soak the clothes. So then someone told me about a woman that would come in once a week for a few hours. So she came in and I'd get her to do the laundry, the washing. I'd have soaked it in advance and she'd get a washboard and a big bath and up and down and wash. But then you had to take them all on a line during the wet weather in the back room to try and get them dry and just like nowadays they wouldn't understand that and um, then we had no electric cooker there was no cooker actually when we moved into that house the gas the gas company had just shut down in Athlone because it was during all the emergency and the only means of cooking that was in that was a gas cooker in the house you couldn't cook in the range it was burnt out so we had to get two primus stoves and stand them on the range and all that time with I was rearing three children at that stage I had just primus stoves on the old hob with heating up the water and cooking and um, all that <laughs> doesn't bear thinking about so then the three Michael, Louis and Ursula were born in the house or were they born in nursing homes or was there midwives Michael was born in the house and the midwife uh, what's her name the, the, she's the mother of uh, your man the politician here O'Rourke right yeah Daddy O'Rourke's um, mother-in-law right she was um, the, and Jim Keane was the doctor and they came in and they were born in the house in the bedroom and <coughs> I went into labour and just for the last second they gave me away for chloroform but I was lucky I had no complications but in those days they kept you in bed for two weeks after the baby right so that was another story right. who was going to do the work <laughs> I know so whether I was able to get because your dad had to go to work he couldn't get time off. He was cycling up and down to the office there in, in um, Pierce Street. And um, then um, when you got up, you weren't feeling the best, but you had to get on with things. There was no heating in the house. 
whatsoever except from the fires there to be stoked. So as I said, I think I did get a girl that came in for a few hours and did a bit of laundry. But like when you look back in it, it's like uh, medieval times, so it is. Yeah. It was that that lawn was busy then because the barracks was here and there was always soldiers and. <coughs> but that's true. But as a town, it was a busy town. Oh, it was a busy town, but like it didn't make any difference to me because I was tied up in the house and I tried to get out for a walk. And then I had uh, I had um, Louis. I had Louis in the house too, actually. He was born at home as well. And I had him at 7 o'clock in the morning, I remember. They had barely time to go down and get the nurse and the doctor, but it was lucky. There was no problems. And there, Michael is a year, Louis arrives, and then there's all these extra nappies to wash and dry. He was born on the 3rd of March. So then I had this big pram that Austin was able to buy through Belfast. He got his sister up there and it was sent down. And it was during the emergency when there was hardly any prams to be got down south. And I got this lovely pram. So I was able to put the baby in, in at one side and the other one at the bottom and a basket and go off. And I used to go for a walk and try and get out in the afternoon. But uh, I had a very good neighbour, Mrs. McIntyre, I remember. She'd babysit an odd time for me to let me out. And I'd cycle up town on a bicycle with the thing on top to try and get a few messages. But um, then Ursula arrived a year later. And I had Ursula, actually, my mother came up then. She was able to come up. And I had her in Ursula O'Rourke's small nursing home. There was only four beds in that nursing home, but I had it there. And then you're left home, and my mum had to go back again, and there I am with three small babies, and all the nappies. That was the main thing, the winter time again, to get dried. So, and then no facilities. I had four children, Mary then, two well, years. You, you moved, the transfer to Van then happened, did it? Yeah, we were transferred to Ballinasloe when Ursula was 10 months old. And that was just around November, the terrible time of the year altogether, winter. And there was no house, the house that we should be getting into. The lady there, that, whose husband we were replacing, he was in Cork City, they had no family. And she wouldn't move until he got a house in Cork City. So we had to go into Eagle Lodge, which was a big old mansion. And the lady living there rented out rooms. It was standing on its own grounds and it looked beautiful, but like it was like hell on earth in there because you were in these big rooms and you'd freeze to death in them. And there was just one small pokey kitchen that she had cut off from another room that she had to try and cook in. And you had no means of washing the nappies and you had no means of drying them. And she objected if you put them out in a place where they might get a breeze. She said she didn't want them to be seen from the back road, and it was only a boring. She said it would take the good look off the place. <laughs> so, we had an electric cooker there. No, a gas cooker, that's right. But the gas went off, and I think we were working on the primer stoves again. And... Then I got a girl to come in, but she'd only come for an hour or two. 
and she do a bit of cleaning and uh, we were how many years there we were I was I don't know how long in that before we moved into the house that we were supposed to go but it was a terrible house too granted it was a house but there was no proper heating it was damp and cold and there was no bathroom in it there was only a toilet so we had to get a big zinc bath when we wanted a bath and bring it in. And we had to put in a geyser in there beside the toilet, which was just in beside the back door. And there was a wash basin there and a toilet, and we had to get the geyser put in. And we had to put the wash machine then, which was a Hoover washing machine, and to fill it up to do the washing. And as you know, you had to wring it out and rinse it. And then when we had a bath night, we had to bring in the big zinc bath and put it down on the floor and put the water in. And then I remember there was a little window in that room. And uh, at that stage, I had six children because I had three more when I was in Ballinasloe. And we were beside the Portiuncle, so <laughs> it was very convenient. My neighbour, Mrs. Donovan, was a great lady. She'd come in and babysit an odd time for me to let me out, which wasn't easy. But um, I remember then on a Saturday night one time, the little window was very small and it was facing back and it wasn't uh, what you call, um, we just had a half curtain on it. And this night, I don't know who was in the bath and they said, somebody's looking in the window, ma'am. I know, was it Louis? And I had brought some of the smaller ones up to your dad to dry them off after the bath. And I pulled up the window from the living room, which was at right angles at the back, and here it was my neighbour, who was the same age as Michael at that age, a teenager, and he was peeping in spying at the people inside having their baths, because nobody was covering up. And uh, after that we heard that he was caught doing the same thing in some of the neighbours' houses. <laughs> he ended up a garda, a garda afterwards, so he did. <laughs> And, and now you, at that stage, the, the water for the baths all had to be heated on the range. Oh no, it had to be heated from the, the um, what you call it, the, the um, we had a, a heater there, what do you call an it? An immersion. immersion. Not an immersion. We had to put in a big tanky thing that heated, an electric geyser they call yeah, it. Yes, but before that, I remember, was it not, was the water not being heated also on the on the range and, and filled into the big bath on well, Saturday that night? Well, that was before we got the geyser. Yeah. That was before we got the geyser. <laughs> and it was just the washboard for the washing and everything and before we got the hoover I had four children we got the hoover machine which was only a small little washing machine that you had to put the water from the geyser in put it in, do the washing take it out uh, get the thing out again in cage water to rinse there was no such thing as the rinsing you had to get it out physically and then the getting the drying of the nappies at that stage just was horrendous in the winter time. Like if you could hang them out in the summer, it would be okay. But um, then as the year went on, in the summer I was keen on gardening, and I did it and put up three beds out there. And I had a trellis there with uh, three pea working its way up along, and I kept chickens the way it is. <laughs> I remember you telling me that on one of, when one of us was born, you ended up going down to the hospital too soon and you were sent home and you had to walk home and then... That's right. It was Christmas Day. It must have been alien. Yeah. It was alien. She was due on Christmas Day. 
Well, I kept active up to the end, you see. And Aileen was due on Christmas Day. And my mom couldn't come on Christmas Day because like, her own family were going down on Christmas Day and she said she'd come afterwards. So I got pains and I thought it was some overwork because I cooked the turkey and also I did on Christmas Eve because right. I thought I wouldn't be there for Christmas Day. And I knew your dad wouldn't be able to cook it. So I was doing all the Christmas dinner things and of course I was exhausted and pains and aches all over from exhaustion which I thought were labour pains. Right. <laughs> and I was in Portiuncla and then on Christmas Day when I woke up after a good night's sleep, they examined me and said, there's nothing happening, you can go home. And you see, the priest had come in to give me communion, the chaplain, and he said, I hear they're letting you home. But he said, I give you a lift, but you'll have to wait till 11 o'clock. I won't be going until then. Oh, I said, sure, I'm ready to go now. It's 8 o'clock. So I walked up, up back a little <laughs> And I knock at the front door, and your dad opened the door. Gosh, she said, they let you out very soon. Where's the baby? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was never too obvious, because it was always very active. So I went in, and <clears throat> I mean, we had a cold turkey, because Molly had cooked it the day before. But <laughs> I lasted for another week, so I did until New Year's Eve. And... Uh, Aileen was born on New Year's Eve, and um, they kept it two weeks then, which, as everybody said, you needed it. It was the only break you had for the rest. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, Correspondence Flow um, had the October Fair, and it um, was a busy town. Had well, you were born around the time of the October Fair, so you were, that's right. You were you were on the 11th of October, but I thought you were coming around the beginning, which was the October fair time, and it was all busy again and overdoing it before I go in with nobody coming, and your mom couldn't come, you see, until whatever time, and I got myself exhausted, so I spent a night in hospital again and had a rest, and actually then you didn't arrive for a week later, you should say. And Auntie Molly, it was, was coming down that time, I think, yeah, yeah. Oh, don't talk to me, they were the days. So, um, throughout that time then, um, we were all going to school in Banderslow, and when did you get involved in the musicals? It was in Banderslow, not right. at Sloan, I hadn't time in, at Sloan. The three babies in two years. I just got, and I walked, I used to walk down from Brackenham for the rehearsals. Right. And I'd walk up at night again. Right. At night. Yeah. It's just I enjoyed it for company. And I was pals with um, your woman, Quinlan, the Quinlan, the doctor, because her son, remember, she used to come up, Stephen, that he could play with um, Aileen, I think, was the same age, and he could play out in the fields of the back football with a lot of you, because they were living downtown. And she got involved there, and she was in musical as well. So I just went down there for company, and I used to go down there, and um, there were no such thing as cars in those days, so I walked home on my own at night time, when you think of it, 11 o'clock or more at mm -hmm. night time. Yeah, but at that stage, I'm not sure what age all of you people would be in the... 
the boys went to the, the, the boys' school at the corner and then they went to garbling and they got on a bit to secondary. And then you got your own, your own house in Ardmurra. That's right. That was the first decent house we had for years because during the emergency the houses were terrible. And um, Pat Carney came to your dad and said that there was a vacant site in, in Ardmurra and there were two houses going up there and that he was going to buy one as an investment. And would your dad be interested in the other one to live in? Because we were only in a rented house all the time. And they're very bad. They were all terrible what you were getting. So at that stage, I think the house was only £2,000. But that time, 2000 was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And for a first house, there was a grant of 270 off it. So he approached the bank to get a loan and that he'd sort of go against his pension, that he, you know, as security. So they gave him a loan, and the house was built, and uh, we went into it. I know it was uh, in winter time, but it was great because uh, at least it had uh, a range in it, and uh, you had a comfortable house, which we never had, and it was right near everything. It was just about 10 minutes from... Garbley College and just about uh, five minutes from the town centre and everything and all the neighbours, we knew them, I knew them and um, um, the children all knew each other and it was a safe place. So we were only in that for a few years when we were transferred. Now before that, you had had played golf? Oh, but Joe, I had played golf, (laughs) I don't know. I played golf when I was up in in Brackenham. And I used to go out, I remember, when I was not bad at tennis or or, uh, camogie in my school days. And that's right, I joined the golf club. And I'd cycle up to the golf club from Bracken and from where we were in the mornings when there were competitions on while you were at school. And I remember going up when I wasn't very long playing there, I think it was only a month or two, and they were supposed to be the president the the county trophy or something was on but I hadn't a clue what that was and I just went up and played this morning early at about half ten or eleven that I'd be home in time for everybody's dinner and everything and I had a score I was off 36 that time of course when you started you got a 36 handicap and I was only barely playing golf and my clubs were all a mixed bag of everything Two of them, they weren't like each other. I didn't know anything about that. I had no caddy car anything, went around, and I was up early in the morning. I can't know who was the other two ladies that happened to pair up with me. What's her name? I forget now. But anyway, I went out, and I my score was, after my handicap, was 68, I think. But that didn't bear any resemblance to me. I hadn't a clue. So I went home, got the dinner, got everything, got organised for everybody coming in and everything else. And when the evening came, then I cycled up on the bicycle again to see how things were. To find out Michel Mass had the best score. <laughs> it was a county trophy that had never been won before in and my picture was on the Sunday paper in oh, the yeah. with the presentation of the cup. 
And of course I didn't have golf shoes or anything in those days. I just had a pair of slip-ons yep. and a skirt and a top. So with the cup, the prize then presented was a fiver, which was a lot of money. But like the cup went to the club and your name was up on the wall and all that. But you got a fiver. So I bought my first pair of slacks and a pair of golf shoes with that winning. <laughs> Shows you the price of things. Mm-hmm. So anyway, my picture was on the paper after that and it was up in the clubhouse. So any time I played, like, I was a bit nervous at playing because I was used to playing tennis and used to playing karaoke and everything. And I won quite a few prizes and my handicap dropped, so it did. And in no time I was down to 18. Right. Yeah. So, um, no, I enjoyed the game and relaxed. And then, how many years after that? Well, did you start bridge in Banlaslo? I was just about to start bridge in Banlaslo when we were transferred. And we were transferred to Ballyhonas, that's right. I was just thinking of starting bridge in Banlaslo that autumn. We were transferred. I used to play a bit of whist actually and Michael used to come down that time he was a teenager and they'd be a big whist drive once a month in the boys' school and you'd go down and play and you'd meet people from everywhere but whist like as you know was great. So anyway, uh, we were transferred to Ballyhonas and um, that was promotion because we were going to be living in a bank house then. Mm. It was about two and a half years in Ballyhonas. Oh, I remember the lady who was the manager's wife in the Ulster Bank. She had known your dad, I think, or her husband had known your dad, and she introduced herself, Beatrice, Beatrice, whatever her name was. Flynn. Flynn, yeah. And she got me introduced to the bridge club then, to play bridge. And that's where I started bridge in Ballyhonas. I didn't have any lessons or anything and it was very handy because it was just across the square in the hotel and um, I forget who my partner was or whether you changed partners or what I got a partner, I must have got a partner, whoever it was and I was only barely playing a month or two when this lady rang the door one day an elderly lady at that stage to me because I was only early 40s she said, you know, I'm looking for a bridge partner. Oh, I said, I have one. Thank you very much for asking. And of course, as time went on, I was a novice at that stage. And as time went on, I realized why she was looking for a bridge partner, because she was so cranky. <laughs> All the partners departed. <laughs> so I can't remember who was my bridge partner. And I was only playing a short time then. And we were transferred to, where did we go from? More. Moat, that's right. Now, there's a very um, prominent Irish singer worked in the bank at that time in Ballyhonas. But he's no longer, well, he's, oh, he left the bank and got into a career in music. Oh, yeah, Christy Moore, yeah, yeah. that's right. Only, that's right, Christy, yes. Yeah. We were living upstairs, you see, in the bank house. As I said, I played golf there in South and I played the bridge there. And then we were transferred to Moat. Moat. And of course I got involved in the bridge in Moat, travelling in and out with Clark Griffin and Mike O'Halloran and played golf there in Moat. And I was captain in Moat one year. 
and uh, that was it. I think I won the prize one there, I forget, time goes on. But, um, and Lily Mulrane was my partner there in Moat. Yeah. And at that time, um, while you were travelling in, that was, you would have started playing bridge in the 72 club. <laughs> yeah, we played in three clubs one time. Yeah. We played in, in Tullamore, but we stopped playing there because it was too late. So we played in the Monday club, the Tuesday club, in the barracks, and the Wednesday club. Also at that time, that was when Michael was working and Louis was in university. That's right. And yeah. Ursula was working. That's right, yeah. And Mary and Aileen were still at boarding school. Yeah, and you were just at... And I was at boarding school. Well, no, when we came, it was, was when we went to Valleyhannes, you were only... I was in uh, national school national then. School, yeah. yeah. That's right, you were in Garbury. Well, you know, you were one year in, in Carmelites. Yeah. Well, if you think of it, having hobbies makes a huge difference. Because, like, I, no matter where I went, if I played bridge, I played golf, you got to know people. And, and of course, you played bridge in one club here in Athlone for 55 years or since? No, I was 55 years playing since bridge. I started bridge. Right. Yeah. And yeah. uh, you were one of the early members of the... Oh, I was, so the one here, yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you travelled numerous, you've been travelling to Canada for, <laughs> since 1970-something. 71 or 2, I think. Mostly. Regularly. Just a year after Louis. 1971 then. Yeah. So you were a regular visitor, and many of the Canadians, you played bridge over there it too. Is, yeah, I played bridge down in Florida too when we went there. Right. Yeah. Could play bridge anywhere now. Yeah. And you didn't start driving until you were what age? 69. <laughs> <laughs> and you only stopped driving when? About six or nine months ago. And that was at 94? Yeah. Yeah. 93. I decided, I decided there about January or February. Uh, well, what this, uh, this, uh, yeah, earlier in the year I decided it was time. Not that I was nervous or anything, but I just decided that was it. And then I didn't need the car really because uh, your woman was calling for me twice a week. Right. So you would have seen changes in everything because there was no TV. There was no internet. Oh, no, 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 no. There was no telephones. No, no, no telephones. You had to go down to the corner box to make a telephone call. And in the old days, it was a telegram if there was immediate was, news uh, or something. And um, you wrote letters. Wrote letters, yeah. And not everyone had a car, so nobody went anywhere. No, we didn't always have a car. No, it went on your bicycle most of the time. And there was no Skype. Oh, you must be joking. There was none of that. So when people left, that was goodbye. That was it. You might make a long-distance phone call, which was very expensive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But when people emigrated, it was goodbye. That's right. Yeah. 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 But um, and when we were living up in Bracken, if you think of it, that big long hill down, and I used to bring the lunches down every day to the school. Yeah. <laughs> Four dinners. Yeah. I had three dinners all wrapped up. I had special containers to keep them hot for the three girls in the girls' school and a separate one for you in the boys' school. Because what happened is we had such a bad means of cooking in that house in Brechner 
that you'd have dishes just on top of the saucepan and everybody coming in at different times right. that you couldn't keep them hot yeah. and they wouldn't be having their dinner until three or four or five and then you had to get tea for your dad or something yeah. so I thought the easiest way for me is to get them all fixed up in the middle of the day get up on my bike in all weathers yep. and go down Bracken with a basket with three dinners and a separate one and drop them into you yep. and then bring them home and when I was down then i do my shopping and there was no deliveries or anything right. in those days and yep. that was it <laughs> yeah. so but no things are a little bit easier now so no wonder I kept fit oh indeed, indeed, indeed I know Indeed, I know. I know. Yeah, so I know. Uh, things things a little bit easier. Yeah, but everybody would have done that. People yeah. used to say, "Why do you do that?" I know. So now that you're here, sitting down in front of the TV, relaxing, and that the Irish, your the government take is quite generous to the people, the seniors. Oh yes. Um, you're able to enjoy life in your own home. Oh yes, yes. There's no doubt about that. But uh, I'm lucky, you see, to have the hobbies and everything else. And as I said, I was playing bridge up to recently, and I decided that the bridge finishes so late now at half ten. At my age, I decided that it was more sensible to give it up. Right, right. Yeah. <coughs> right. Well, well, I have my computer and everything. And that's right, you do. Skype, and yeah. your Skype and your emails yeah. and your... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 But um, the thing, and I read, you see, and keep up to date. Indeed, you do. Yep, you yep. do. Well, I guess the time to go and have tea. Well, I won't be able to have much, just a sandwich. I yeah, think. that's fine. Yeah. I go and make it now. Yeah, just a small sandwich. But no, I suppose I'm lucky that I was interested, and I was keen on photography too. So I was. I used to take a lot of pictures. And it was only an old brownie camera. Yeah. Should I have great pictures from yeah, those days? Yeah when people weren't taking anything and I love taking those yeah but um, no if you think of it my mum and dad like they had a luxurious life considering it was just that she had the money you see right because a lot of people at that stage would be uh, you know strapped for cash yeah yeah but like um, I didn't know all I'd ever hear is like that the dividends have come in and like if you have two maids in a house and having to feed them and like it doesn't it doesn't register with a child but um, when you think of it it was a whole different way of life wasn't mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. yeah very much so very much yeah. so yeah yeah right yeah but uh, no, and I mean, we kicked football. I loved kicking football with my brothers. I went out to the backfields and the front down the other. And then at school, I played camogie and tennis. And I mean, I was playing tennis from the time I was about four or five years of age because your dad was a great tennis player, and Michael and them all were good tennis players. And we all started tennis like when the holidays would come. We'd be told, go on up to the tennis courts in the morning. You see, they were up the road and we had family membership. And of course, in the mornings, there'd be no adults there. It would be all the kids and you got playing. And then eventually, when we went to Hospital County Limerick and I joined the club, as I told you, and that the nun came out and said, I hear you playing mm -hmm. with adults. 
And you see, the reason I was playing with that, I suppose, I wasn't bad, like, for my age, because yeah. I had played so much tennis. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I was up to down to the senior team. Right. But I hadn't a clue, because I was used to hitting the ball all right. the time. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'll go make tea. So that just shows you. There you to go. To occupy. Indeed.